Welcome to episode 419 with my guest, Glenn Lutz. Today's episode is sponsored by Spotify. With more than 150,000 podcasts, including Oprah's Super Soul Conversations, The Tim Ferriss Show, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and The Nutrition Diva, you can learn just about anything, even how to get better at listening to podcasts about getting better at things. So start the year off right with podcasts on Spotify. My name is Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. But I do like occasionally uh, to mention that I was on basic cable, and I did do stand-up at clubs and colleges all over the country. And I think that qualifies me to chime in about really important topics. This is sounding a little bit like mean DJ voice. Boy, that does sound like me, Paul. And you're such a hack, you can't even tell the difference between two fucking voices. Once again, why you are bottom of the barrel and will never amount to anything. You sound like you've got a little bit of a cold, mean DJ voice. I got a little bit of the sniffles. I want to kick things off with a survey. Normally, I don't read um, heavyish surveys up front on the show. Um, actually, before I do that, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, uh, BetterHelp.com. If you've never tried online counseling, I really recommend it. Uh, of course, it depends on the counselor that you get. And I love my BetterHelp.com counselor. Her name is Donna, and she is awesome. She is, she has really helped me in the last couple of years. I, I think one of the biggest things that she has helped me with is uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And instead of thinking, oh, what might that person be thinking about me or, you know, reading between the lines of everything, just to take things at face value and look at what the facts on the ground are and then just let it go until other facts present themselves. And um, she's awesome. So I recommend BetterHelp.com. If you're going to try it out, go to BetterHelp.com and uh include slash mental at the end of that. So betterhelp.com slash mental. Fill out a questionnaire and then they'll match you with a betterhelp.com counselor and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is your thing and you need to be over 18. This is a shame and secret survey and it was filled out by Izzy. Uh, She is... straight, 20 years old, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to read this is uh, so often on the on the podcast, the surveys I read uh, or the guests I have, their stories are dramatic. And a lot of us have issues that aren't dramatic. And I think sometimes people listening may feel like that means that what they're feeling isn't comparable and thus not valid or worthy of talking about or seeking help for. Um, 
And this, I think, is, is a, a survey that really kind of addresses that. Um, so as I said, her name is Izzy. And, um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I know, don't know if it counts. I'm very self-conscious about my butt and my butt being touched, and I'm not sure if that results from something in my childhood that I don't remember. One thing that did happen that I've never told anyone is that I was lying on my stomach on our couch in the living room, and my dad hit my butt. He had a weird look on his face, an almost hungry, playful look. That seemed to trigger my sensitivity. But I can't help think that that wasn't enough to make me so sensitive. So I'm afraid I've repressed memories in my childhood. Uh, that would creep anybody out. Um, but continuing. Also working in the food industry, um, often behind the counter in close quarters with my coworkers, and it's not that uncommon to accidentally brush against people when things are busy. But my coworkers and I always apologize to each other. There was one time when I was closing and only I and my male supervisor were behind the counter. He, quote, accidentally brushed his hand against my butt. I think it was an accident because, like I said, things like that happen, but he didn't apologize or say anything about it. A few months later, I brought it up to another supervisor, and she wasn't surprised when I told her who it was. Uh, she has also been uh, emotionally abused, uh, never been physically abused. Uh, her dad was emotionally abusive. Uh, she writes, I say was, but he still is, but I'm out of the house now. That's fantastic. Um, it's so hard to heal when we are stuck in a, in a toxic place. Um, uh, her dad was violent, uh, not at her per se, but, you know, he would break things, throw shit across the room. Um, she has struggled with, um, body issues. Um, when she said, uh, she writes, uh, when I was finally Starting to accept my body, my dad said my thighs are too big and that I should work out more. You know, why not go all the way and, and make that her birthday card? Uh, naturally, I'm pissed at him and I kind of hate him, but growing up Christian and in a Christian home, I'm not, quote, allowed to hate or disrespect my dad. Respect to me is a two-way street, man, whether you're related or not. Uh, she has had some positive experiences uh, with her dad, but uh, she writes, I use my anger to cover up my pain and sadness. It's a lot easier for me to stay angry at him than to feel sorrow and pain over him not just being a monster, but actually having some good moments too. I know this isn't healthy and it's something I'm working on with my therapist darkest thoughts. I still have self-harm urges and suicidal ideation. It's not nearly as often as it was when I was depressed growing up. Uh, I really now just struggle with anxiety. But there are some times when I'm bored or I've had a rough day and I'll just find myself thinking about dragging a blade across my wrists or my wrists even tingle. I've never self-harmed, but God, I've wanted to. I've never actually gotten a blade out, but I fantasized about it, and the urges are so fucking strong sometimes. I'm also afraid of heights, but people don't really know why. I'm afraid of heights because whenever I'm somewhere high, a parking garage, Ferris wheel, I always have the urge to jump. Even though I knew it wasn't always good for me, I would sometimes go sit on top of a parking garage and just listen to all the sounds. 
It was calming. But there was one time I had to call my brother. I didn't tell him I wanted to jump, but I just needed someone to talk to, someone to help keep me alive. I've never told him that, and I don't think I ever will. I also don't want my dad at my wedding. I honestly don't care if he's not there because he's dead. I just don't want him there. That's part of the reason I haven't pursued any serious relationships. I don't want him involved at all. Let's just just take a moment and let that sink in. The ways that we will bend our lives to not cut somebody out of our life who is toxic, that she is willing to, that she is potentially avoiding being in a relationship to avoid the possibility of her father coming to her wedding. That's, that is, and that's not unusual to feel that kind of dread and we just shrink our lives because it's messy dealing with people that are toxic or complicated and we're complicated. It's not simple. But what is simple is to say, I'm not going to date or I'm not going to get married. But, you know, we only go around once. I go around twice, but that's because um, the first time I went around, um, I'm trying to think of something to put in there. They waved a checkered flag. And so right now, I actually died uh, about 70 years ago, but I'm doing a victory lap. And that's why I go half speed. Darkest secrets. My deepest secret is how afraid I am that my hypersensitivity and self-consciousness about my butt is a result of something that happened in my childhood. I haven't ever told anyone about that fear, not even my therapist. I'm afraid that maybe I'll make something up to explain it or that I'll actually remember a repressed memory. The thing that you recalled about your dad, to me, is a valid reason. But even if you don't have something to connect it to, it is valid that you have that self-consciousness. That is not a, a statement of your moral fiber or strength. We feel what we feel. Um, she doesn't have any uh, sexual fantasies. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone? Uh, I'd like to tell my dad he's made my life a living hell. I'm so much better now, but I was so fucked up even just a year ago. I want to make him beg for my forgiveness, but to tell him it's too late. What, if anything, do you wish for? As awful as it is, I wish my dad were dead. Life would be so much better for my mom and I. It would be the simplest thing that could happen. It sounds harsh, but make him dead to you. I don't know another way to put it, but... Have you shared these things with others? No, not really, except perhaps to my therapist. How do you feel after writing these things down? Angry, sad, hurt. It's nice to be able to just let this all out. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? And this is what I would say to you. If you think you're being emotionally abused, please don't feel like your pain, your hurt is invalid or insignificant because you don't have physical scars or wounds. Emotional scars and wounds are just as valid. Don't think you're weak 
because of the extreme pain resulting in emotional abuse. You are so important. You are so loved. You are so worthy of love. That's really beautiful. Really beautiful. I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Every Plate. Experience full plates and fuller wallets with Every Plate, America's best value meal kit. Their dinners are cheaper, healthier uh, than takeout or delivery. Uh, a lot of dinner options cost around 10 bucks per serving, but Every Plate offers five chef-designed recipes each week from only $4.99 per serving. $4.99. That's the same price as the cup of coffee that you buy every day. The recipes, I can and I can vouch for this, they're easy to follow. They come together in about 30 minutes. And the ingredients are good quality. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was tasty. There was some glazed chicken. There was a hoisin meatloaf. Um, yeah. And here's the other thing I liked is a lot of times... Uh, meal kits, they'll give you a lot of carbs, but then not a lot of protein. And what I liked about this was there was definitely a nice balance of protein to carbs or vegetables. So for six free meals across your first three weeks and free shipping on your first delivery, go to everyplate.com and enter code MENTAL6. This offer equates to one-third off each of your first three boxes when you go to everyplate.com and enter code MENTAL6. And I'll put the links to uh, all our advertisers on the show notes for the uh, episode. And then finally, before uh, the interview with Glenn, this is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself C. And he writes, When I was 16, my dad told my shrink I had a, quote, type she asked him to describe it to her and then made a list on a board. My shrink then asked me who I thought it reminded me of. I felt like she was going in a Freudish direction, so I said, my sister. She said, try a generation older. I said, my mom? And she nodded her head. My mom was in the room at the time. Nobody's, Nobody's cool, cool and everyone's scared. scared. And, and we're, we're just, just all, all in this together. <laughs> There was no joy. Overeating. Apathy doesn't leave any marks. Numbing out. Physically. I wish that I was a girl. Panic attacks were so violent. Rudderless. They were mistaken for seizures. Shot coke in my neck. The TV was talking to me. Romantically, I am becoming the woman that I feared. He said, there's going to be a second hunger strike. Nothing's real. And I'm going to die. Sometimes I just go, hey, I can't deal. Just beyond broken. I'm one out. You have to, like, fantasize about the person I'm with. I'm gonna stop it. Fucking someone else. It's okay to be different that i don't want to die is a miracle to be weird i'm so happy to be here i'm gonna help you one day people are gonna love you for that it takes a lot of work to heal it's hard being a weird kid sometimes you don't realize how fucked up something was until you feel the opposite of it you will just never see what you're not looking for i didn't know how to break up with him so i just transferred schools <laughs> <laughs> i'm here with uh glenn lutz who is an author an artist um, you got a great book called Go Fuck, I Mean, Find Yourself. <laughs> Fuck is scratched out. Uh, the wisdom you need to get off your ass and create your best self. And there's, there's some really, really great uh, stuff in, in there. And this is the first time that, uh, that we've met. And so I was just uh, doing a little reading about you. 
and you, one parent is of German descent, one parent is of Haitian descent, and how did, how did they meet? Yeah, so they're both uh, in the church. Uh, my dad was actually a Presbyterian minister and a computer operator, and um, they met at a, at a church kind of event, singles ministry, and um, yeah, uh, met that night and went on three dates and got married on the third uh third date he proposed which wow. is kind of crazy yeah and are they still together they're still together yeah. and yeah. how old are you i'm 29 young 29 youngster yeah yeah um where did you grow up uh upland california like inland empire oh yeah 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 there yeah. they had a skate park there when i was uh uh, a teenager and I used to dream I'm probably the only person in the world that dreamed of living in Upland <laughs> <laughs> were you an avid skater growing up a uh, skateboarder but as you know I, I lived in Illinois which was completely flat and oh, so yeah. it was just a fantasy world you know these skateboard parks which yeah. were just amazing and one of them was in in Upland and uh, so I just thought it was Upland was totally exotic <laughs> and then I moved here and I'm like well it's like, actually kind of smoggy yeah. and it's uh, yeah. you know uh, the Inland Empire not that there's anything wrong with it but it's uh, glamour <laughs> wouldn't be one of the words to describe Upland right right yeah. it's definitely not like Long Beach or anything like that right but, yeah. yeah yeah not to shit on Upland <laughs> but let me shit on Upland shout out to Upland yeah, yeah it's a good place uh, so what was it what was that like it was it was fun. It was interesting. Like I, <clears throat> I had a pretty jam packed childhood. Um, I was actually listening uh, to one of your podcasts and kind of talking about as a child doing so many things. Um, I was a Boy Scout. I skateboarded as well. Mm -hmm. um, I was a child actor. Uh, would sing in concerts. Um, so I was doing a lot of stuff and. Um, yeah, youngest of six, um, pretty pretty uh, fun childhood, and um, and what was the acting at your behest? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think in the beginning it was. And anything that we would know you from? I was on Malcolm in the Middle as a kid. Uh, I was on uh, Baywatch as a kid. <laughs> Diagnosis murder. Uh, shout out to Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of commercials and yeah. Right on. <laughs> uh, so go ahead. I, I I sidetracked you. Yeah. No. So so doing that. Yeah. Um, I think in the beginning it was, and um, by the time I was like thirteen, I just kind of wanted to be a kid, and um, yeah. That probably that saved point. your life. Yeah, I think so. Or your sanity, at the very least. I mean, it's. Are there any experiences as a child actor that you can share that you look back now and you're like, wow, that was really fucked up. Um, that was a really skewed view of what someone's priorities should be, whether it was mm -hmm. you or someone around you. Hmm. If you can't, that's okay, too. But I, 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 I know uh, I have encountered uh, a lot of people when I was in TV. I just encountered a lot of people that thought show business was the most important thing right. in the world. And if a kid doesn't have somebody grounding them saying, this is, there's, there is no meritocracy in this business and there are a lot of sharks and it's mm -hmm. a lot of ego and users. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things is looking back from a psychological perspective. At a very young age, you're at this point where you're performing as somebody else. So before you have any idea of who you are, 
You're already trying to dive into characters. In an audition room, you're trying to impress somebody. So you're already performing for people, you know, literally and figuratively. And um, I think sometimes at that age, being enough, um, finding out who you are, whether that's playing, exploring, reading, uh, time with family, whatever those things are, um, that can be sidetracked. So there is that grounding. And I think that's a big part of the reason why so many child actors kind of go off the deep end. But uh, but yeah. So, <laughs> yes. and, and when you were on Malcolm in the Middle, was it just like a one-time thing, or were you a recurring character? Yeah, one one guest star. On yeah, that. was it fun? <laughs> it was. Yeah, I mean, I did enjoy it. Um, you know, craft services is always great. You know, it was oh, always like amazing candy? food. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but that was a that was a fun episode. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, give me some some seminal moments uh, from childhood or adolescence that you think kind of define. Uh, the world you were growing up in, how you viewed it, how you viewed yourself, the messages you were given. Hmm. Maybe your, the emotional temperature of your family. Yeah. Um, and who was the preacher? Your, your father? Yeah, my and, father was a preacher. Um, he was an assistant pastor by the yeah. time I was coming up. Uh, my oldest sister is 18 years older than me. And um, it's interesting. So <clears throat> my family dynamics kind of, kind of interesting. So my father is white, German, and a little bit of Dutch in there, and he was married to a white woman before. Now, here's how racist I am. I just assumed <laughs> that it was a black father who was a preacher. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just hitting you with the stereotypes five minutes <laughs> into, the, into the interview. Yeah, no, so he, uh, yeah, definitely white, uh, Presbyterian, um, and he's actually the so three generations before him are pastors as well presbyterian ministers um so i have a white brother and sister and then my mother was married to a haitian man before and so i have uh, a brother and two sisters that are full haitian and then my parents met and i'm the only one from that dynamic uh from that marriage and so i'm the only mixed race in my family and one entire side speaks creole and speaks french um and then my father's side, you know, they're all white. So they I, all have parades on Sunday <laughs> and make Poland afraid. I'm sorry. And wear that clogs. Was, yes. That was such a horrible, you know, while I'm stereotyping, well, let's throw Germany under the bus. And Germany is a fucking lovely, lovely country. I can't wait to go back and visit. But that's the comic in me that has to shit all over everything because he's afraid that he might not be paid attention to. But go ahead. Continue. <laughs> but yeah, so... Answering your question, I think that really shaped um, just like my worldview and, you know, it was just very different and I saw very different cultures and, um, but I also saw the, both sides of the family are exactly the same as, you know, interesting as that may sound. Um, just one had spicier food. Yeah. <laughs> one uh, was a little bit louder, um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's. I saw that at a young age. Are there, are there any <clears throat> moments that, that you can share that you remember? I just love hearing you know, snippets of people's lives uh, kind of painting what, what it is that you're sharing, what, what it was like. Uh, they, they don't have to be profound or big or earth-shaking, just things that kind of stuck in your, in your brain. Yeah. Um, I'm 
trying to think. And did your mother emigrate from uh, yeah. Haiti? Yeah, so she moved here uh, when she was about 19, 20 years old. Um, Where'd she settle? Uh, New York, originally. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, I remember just those moments where, like, I had an amazing childhood, but I remember, you know, going out with my parents and just things that, I remember feeling like this is different to the world. You know, my home life, race was almost never discussed. Um, it just wasn't an issue. So when I went out into the world, I'm like, oh, this is such a big issue. Um, and so that, I think, really... Was it that people would look at you guys a little too long, like there was something wrong sure. or something off, or would they ask questions? Or Yeah, and I, you know, growing up mixed race I and just being around so many cultures growing up, you know, every, all these different cultures have different things that make them unique and different backgrounds and foods and music, but people at the core, you know, are the same and, mm -hmm. you know, love and the things that we want to be happy and joy and to be at peace. And um, those differences were so small. And so for so many years of my life, I had to just kind of wrestle with that and almost play the game that, I felt like the world had to play where, okay, race is such this big issue. Um, and, uh, and also kind of camouflaging cause I don't think I look mixed race. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was interesting, but, um, I don't know if that paints a <laughs> it, it, it. It does. And you know, when you say, uh, you know, acting that, that race was a big issue, obviously in some ways, it is a big issue, but not in the way that these people were viewing it. They were making mm. a big deal about the things that shouldn't be a big deal involving race. Um, I, I assume that's that's what you mean, that, you At know, oh, this person looks different or that. But like when it comes to, and we might as well get into this, um, police brutality, uh, unarmed black men being right. shot, uh, you know, institutional issues that some a large portion of our, our, our country um, can't or won't uh, admit is very real. Yeah. Um, that, to me, <laughs> straight white guy, why, you know, why I feel the need to weigh in on this, but my take is, um, well, fuck my take. What's your, what's no, your yeah, take I, on where we're at today? What does it feel like being in your skin when you see half of the country thinks a song is more important than a whole race of people that just want to feel safe and equal right um i the first thing i see is just a lack of uh empathy a lack of uh understanding or willingness to put yourself in somebody else's shoes um yeah, these issues are <laughs> very real. Um, and they just manifest on every single scale to the, you know, the tragedy of somebody losing their life, you know, often 17 year old or 18 year old or children. Um, and, uh, even just on a smaller scale of, you know, when you're of color, you know, you're, often deemed by the police to be up to no good or just to be messed with in a different way. Um, so for people, uh, 
that just don't choose to to try to think about that or to understand that or why someone would do that. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think it's it's an empathy thing. Is there are there days when you aren't aware of being stopped or uh, profiled or being harmed by someone because of the color of your skin? I think I I um personally as yeah. as far as myself mm-hmm. um yeah there's days those things you know don't you know aren't happening to me specifically but as a culture and a people yeah those things are always always present um and yeah it's it's always a thing are there any <laughs> moments that you can share that someone who doesn't experience what you've experienced um that you, that you could share with us uh you know, for instance uh i've had a, a couple of uh mothers uh african american mothers who shared about having to have a conversation with their teenage sons of where to put your hands when you get stopped by police how to react how right. to do this so that you don't get shot that that i had never pictured that as being part of someone's childhood or parenthood. And I know there have to be a ton more. And so you talk about the importance of understanding what it's like in other people's shoes. I don't think you have to be racist to benefit from knowing more deeply an experience of someone uh, who is different than you. And, and I would put females in that same category, you right. know, uh, right. being afraid to go into the underground parking garage or jog at sure, night, things sure. like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I always, if I get pulled over, you know, license, I say, sir, do you mind if I go into the box? I mean, and, you know, I've had different experiences. So I've had experiences where I've been pulled over and guns have been immediately drawn um, just for turning in, in a wrong a wrong parking area on accident. Um, that and, and yeah, and, and, and so there wasn't like they ran your plates, and no, there was this was you something know, get out of that, the car, you know. It where, was, where, where was this? So, this was uh by Ontario Airport, and I had um turned into uh, I was trying to drop my friend off at a terminal, and I turned into the wrong area, and I kind of realized it. Oh, and as I was turning around, it right. was just intense, it just escalated really fast, but I mean, it it was escalated immediately, right? Um I've also, you know, more than three times have been pulled over and not got a ticket um, for speeding. And thank you for the honesty. I appreciate it. Just drive safe, buddy. And so, so it's, it's a, you know, it's a mixture. Um, and so yeah. I definitely don't throw, you know, all of law enforcement under the bus or anything like that. But Absolutely. I think um, there's just certain stereotypes and norms and things like in New York with stop and frisk and stuff that, uh, you know, just target a certain group. Driving driving while black. Right. Or Hispanic or so. So, yeah, that's things that, you know, people deal with. Uh, So back to childhood, adolescence, any any moments that you can uh, think of that just pop into your mind. They they don't have to be bad or good or... um, 
Just whatever comes to whatever comes to mind. Hmm. Or you know what we could do is we could start to uh, uh, get into some of the things from the book, and then if it triggers something in you that you'd like to share, sure, um, sure. you could maybe share where that comes from. Sure. Um, let's start out with the simple one. It's so overlooked. <laughs> um, breathe, drink some water. It's all good. Right. It's such a simple right. one, but we we forget sometimes to stay right. hydrated and just take a deep breath right. and pause. Breathing, being present, being in the moment. I enjoy drinking water mindfully. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that this gives us life and this source of life and so to take time and to stop and be present with that and, you know, know that you're alive. Um, and yeah. it's becoming a scarce resource uh, in some areas <laughs> of the globe. And yes. it's, I oftentimes when I take and a shower, right. yeah, I wonder, am I going to be telling people, assume I'm around, you know, 30 years from now, am I going to be telling people, oh, yeah, we used to run the shower before we even gotten it. Right. You did yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, and there's so many people who don't have access to clean water. And, you know, it's something we're talking about in, in the States, you know, that we have that. But so many people don't have it. So And, and how it has become a point of pride for a, a population of the audience, or not the audience, the, the, the country, to, like, want to pollute almost out of a spite because mm-hmm. the quote-unquote other side wants clean water and clean air and oh. I, I i don't i don't get it i don't get it oh. um what are you thankful for hmm. let's go back and forth and share some things that we're thankful for and i especially like the little things yeah the little things uh i'm thankful for the aesthetic of Japanese furniture, especially Japanese lamps and rice paper and the warm glow and atmosphere that that they create. Mm. I'm grateful for great friends and people who are there for you to listen or people who you can listen to and, yeah, share special times with them. I'm thankful for the music of Django Reinhardt and the stamp that he familiar. put. He <laughs> Uh, died in 1950. He was a Belgian uh, gypsy who is the godfather of modern swing jazz guitar. And he, like, just lived a crazy life. He would, hmm. you know, he would make maybe, if he made 50 grand in a night, he would spend it all that night buying drinks for everybody, <laughs> gambling, um and what strikes me most about him, because to me it's it's kind of uh, an analogy for the struggle of life in general. When he was eighteen, he was already a prodigy on on guitar, mm-hmm. and there was a, a fire in the caravan that they lived in, the group of gypsies that that he lived with, and his fingers um, were melted. Uh, and he was left with the two of his fingers were melted and kind of rendered unusable. So oh he gosh. only had two fingers to play with. And he kept playing guitar. And if you listen to his stuff today, 
it sounds like there's two guitarists playing, oh my and he just flows all over the neck. And I think what I especially like about his his style of playing, it's really, really melodic. He never sounds like he's playing a scale, and he plays in minor keys, but he plays them with joy, which to me is what mm. life is about. Life right. is a minor key, right, and right. if you can find a way to find a rhythm to it mm. that makes people dance to a minor key mm. and makes yourself dance, that to me is the embodiment of uh, spirit. Right. And there's a story... Um, that I that I love to to share with people, the guitarist for Black Sabbath, uh, Tony Iommi, um, was at his last day at work before he was to quit his job for them to record their first album. He's in a sheet metal factory. He's not paying attention. The cutter comes down and chops off the tips of his fretting fingers. The and last day. The last day. Oh my gosh. And he thinks my career is over <clears throat> as a musician. Mm-hmm. A couple days later, the foreman comes by his house says, I want to play something for you. Puts on a record. He said, what do you think? And Tony Iommi said, it's it's great, but what's the point? He said, this is a guy named Django Reinhardt. And he told the story about Django. And Tony Iommi thought, oh, my God, this guy's playing with two fucking fingers. I bet if I (laughs) really try, I bet there's something I can do to still be able to play guitar. And so he fashioned these plastic tips that go over the ends of his fingers. And to this day, that's how he um, plays guitar. He has no feeling in the tips of, of his fretting fingers. And on top of that, because it was so painful, he had to tune down, you know, hmm. slack, slack in the the strings so mm-hmm. they didn't hurt as much which lowered the tone which gave it a heavier sound which was the birth, birth of heavy of metal heavy metal right wow so Django Reinhardt had a hand in the sound of heavy metal wow i mean is that crazy that is crazy and to that's me that's a it's, really good story it's like you never know the ripples yeah that you're as you like to say getting up and dusting yourself off you kind of mentioned that a couple times in your book about the importance yeah. of that it's not how many times we fall it's right keep going dust yourself off right. you know we all make mistakes don't shame yourself right you know um so i don't know how i got off on that uh no, oh people you. who i'm grateful for uh jango yeah. reinhardt i'm gonna go with um michael jackson's thriller album as well i'm i love that album it just it gets you there it takes you there every time so much joy in that album perfectly produced uh yeah are you able to separate his obviously his personal life from from his music? Some people can't do that, and right. I I can I can, but sometimes I've I've struggled with it because there's just still all of that um, stuff kind of hanging over, like Woody yeah. Allen. I, I yeah yeah yeah, and I I personally don't know everything about you know Michael's personal life, but. Um, yeah, I think there's some people who who I've heard certain things about that, you know, I don't really want to listen to their stuff personally. But I think that's a choice people make it is. with with art and you you're mentioning Woody Allen. I mean, you look at those films and yeah, Annie Hall and all that amazing, stuff. Amazing, amazing movies. And it's not that I want to punish him. It it just takes me out of right. the experience right. of doing it. So right. it's it's for me that, you know, um, it's another one. I love 
the way Bobby Orr changed the not only the game of hockey, but the way defensemen play hockey and just how mm. dominant and humble he was and the fact that he was discovered when scouts were at a rink looking at like a 16-year-old kid and he was playing and he was 12. Wow. And they said, who is this fucking kid, this skinny little kid that's skating around everybody? And at 12, the Bruins mm. signed him to a contract. Oh, my gosh. At 12 years 12 old. years old. So was he playing or was he No, he wasn't legally allowed to play right, until right. he was 18, but okay. he always played with older kids and then men when he was 16. Yeah. And um, came – here's a, a stat uh, that I think speaks to – the greatness of, of Bobby Orr. There's a stat called plus minus. If you're on the ice and your team scores a goal, you personally get plus one in your in your plus plus minus column. Mm-hmm. Likewise, if the other team scores, you get a minus one. So at the end of the game, you'll be maybe zero plus one plus two minus two, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Over is that the, how the game is scored? That, is that- um, it, it is one of the personal statistics okay. that they use okay. to assess. Uh, not only teams, but individual players. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of a season, a, a really marquee player on a good team will be maybe at the end of the season plus 30, plus 40 is almost unheard of. Bobby Orr finished one season plus 124. Wow. And so this is when he's on, when you're on, on the, the ice. ice. Okay. So, okay. So, so yeah. 124 Goals, more goals were scored than other teams when he was on the ice. And this That's is how a defensive dominant, player, you said, A right? defensive okay, player. So, yeah. This also <clears throat> got the scoring title one year as a defenseman. You know, that's wow. almost like a goalie, right. you know, having more goals than <laughs> some of his yeah. teammates. It's just he changed the game and just every, the way he carried himself and how hard he played, everything about him was was amazing. So I I love anything about Bobby Orr. Yeah. Wow, that's... I'm sorry classic. I'm doing all the talking with, Please, with these. This, I'm learning so these, much. This is great. These, uh, that's really cool. These uh, idols of mine. A give prodigy. Me, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolute prodigy. Yeah. Give me give me another love. I, I'm thankful for my mother. I'm going to, you know, go back, go back to the story, man. Uh, grateful for mom. Um, without my mother, wouldn't be here. Describe uh, describe her. Oh man, uh, beautiful beautiful soul, beautiful human being. Um, always giving, always volunteering. Um, a woman of faith. Um, somebody who's never judgmental. Um, she's the same outside as she is at home. Uh, loves to make crafts, give things to people. Um, just always giving her time. She was a Cub Scout leader, always just working with kids. You know, it, she's an amazing, amazing human being. Is it? Is it? You think where you learned uh, compassion and positivity? Because that, that it's kind of through your book. Even though there's some tough love in here, um, you know, there is a through line of compassion and both love towards others and love towards self. Is that? Yeah, you know, it's the funny thing, and I think it um, ties in a little bit, is that 
one thing my mother was always about is, like you said, um, getting up if you fall and um, not kind of harping on the negatives. And so for me, um, being that I've gone through and dealt with depression and all these things, I initially was writing this book to myself. So these quotes were written to myself, um, things that would kind of keep me pushing. And so, yeah, it's um, the idea of grit. I love that word. It's like one of my favorite mm-hmm. words. Uh, yeah, that's definitely from her. And um, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah, the the book... Uh describe it for people it's a you know it's a a smallish book and on each page uh is a saying or a thought like i just opened one uh, that one of the pages it just says enjoy the fucking journey and then um (laughs) on the next page uh it just simply says you won't be full if you're not grateful uh which i highly agree uh how does somebody get to that place where they're grateful if it's not happening organically what Mm. What? Yeah, because I think then people feel shame right. and a lack of gratitude, mm. and mm. I have some thoughts on that. But I want to know your your take on that. If somebody's struggling to feel yeah. grateful, one uh, one person whose teachings I really like is Brother David Steindl-Rost. Um and he talks about practicing gratitude, and uh, gratitude is a practice. So stopping and there's this old. Um, kind of story about uh you know if you or an old saying if you know you get in a car accident you know be grateful nobody was hurt if you're hurt be grateful nobody died if somebody died be grateful for the time that you were able to spend with them and to know this person and there's always something to be grateful for practicing not just the the big things i think sometimes we use the word gratitude as a way of um talking about these huge accomplishments or things that come into our lives rather than, you know, what you have currently, the fact that you're alive, the fact that life is a gift. Um, But yeah, that's and going back to what you said about kind of playing in minor, you know, and playing with joy. I mean, we're always going through things and you see some of that in Buddhist uh, philosophy about compassion and, um, having compassion for others, you know, you look in Christianity, kind of the key word is love and, um, which is so important in in Buddhism, it's compassion and, um, understanding that we're all always going through these things and suffering and joy are hand in hand. And so, yeah, gratitude is to be practiced in those negatives and in the, in the dark times. Yeah. And it is fucked up as it sounds. Suffering can feed joy. Yeah, because it's oh, like yeah. you wouldn't experience the mountain as much as you do if you walked the valley leading up to the mountain. I wouldn't have this book if I didn't go through the most painful. I went through a divorce and I mm. was on my tail. That's and its I own would, valley. Yeah. Oh, it was. It was a valley. It was Death Valley, hundred and forty-five degrees, and um, but. Even in those moments, I was speaking like, you know, this is painful. You're going to get through it. You know, it was always like, I'm going to get through this and, um, you know, having family. And but I I never thought like this is over. 
but I would sit in that and, and be in that even and be present in that. And, um, and not, that really not wish me. that it was different, but just say, okay, this it, well, is Well, I mean, I definitely was there. I definitely right. at times wished it was different. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, it's... But that wasn't the focus of... of because we, it we, isn't, you know, and right. it's, it's one of those things where it's like, man, you know, this is what's happening. And um, so to wish it is some imagination, and that's pulling you out of the present, which leads to anxiety and depression and all types of other things. Imagination is great when it comes to artistry and, and creating something. It's It can be debilitating when you're imagining, you know, that you wish you had a different childhood or, oh, you know, that's, oh, yeah. Yeah, when you, that when, takes you somewhere else. An artist's yeah. brain catastrophizing is its own <laughs> horror movie. That's a really good word. <laughs> it is because I, I have the same. I have the same thing. I, yeah. you know, CGI Lucasfilms has nothing on <laughs> some of my ponderings on a shitty day. <laughs> um, you know, getting back to the thing about gratitude, um, I, I'd also like to to add to that mm-hmm. that um, I caution people to not tell other people to be grateful mm-hmm. for things when they are enduring pain. You know, for instance, the person that comes up to somebody who just lost a child and say, well, be grateful you still have two other children or this right. or that. It's For me, it's kind of a personal uh, practice that definitely helps me to see what I'm grateful for. But in that moment, I think what that person needs is a validation of their pain and they just you know, want somebody to say i love you i'm here for you etc etc just even just being there sometimes saying nothing and if it's not the time or they don't want to hear anything just deep listening yeah um just being present with somebody yeah yeah the other thing that is kind of a through line through uh all all of the the sayings in this book is uh authenticity Mm. and um i get the sense that you are someone who has made peace or is making an effort to make peace with who you are where you are yeah. um on yeah. any on any given day and that's been a struggle for you i would imagine the, having to deal with depression you had to face that and how do, how do you yeah it, it's interesting even with depression um I think uh, sometimes people who deal with it, you know, you're talking about being authentic. They don't want to even tell people in their life if, you know, they don't want to be a Debbie Downer, you know. And so uh, being fake about it. And now you're dealing with like two things of putting on a mask as well as these feelings that you don't know where they're coming from. And, yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I experienced those feelings very early. They started really early. The feelings of depression. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, just even being in elementary school and just sitting in like a corner for hours and just being like a deep sadness like that, <laughs> you know, it, I did not understand what that was at the time. And isn't that just math class, though? <laughs> <laughs> isn't that just the flashcards? <laughs> <laughs> right, now, right. Uh, what do you remember? Was there anything uh, driving it, or was it just a general uh, sense of sadness? Yeah. Um, 
sometimes it felt like it was a general sense in in some ways. Um, I think it, there was this fact of I was the youngest. I was alone a lot. My siblings had gone off to college, and um, I just I was alone. I missed my brothers and sisters who had left, and um, that was a shift. And I was uh, moving different schools. A school I'd went to had closed down, and then we had moved, and then moved to a different school. So, kind of being uprooted, and also just being really busy. And yeah, I think I was trying to kind of figure things out. And um, I've always been a thinker. I've always been a thinker, and uh, even things that I maybe questioned in, in church or. Just all types of different things, you know, at a very young age that were kind of leading to that. And But I, I remember being in elementary school and, like, crying out to God and stuff as a kid. I mean, it, it, I look back, I'm like, that's really intense at that age that I was doing that. But, yeah. That, Do you remember what you were crying out for? It, it, to be honest with you, I would, you know, ask, uh, ask God to take my life at a very young age. And I would cut myself at... 11 years old and um i'm an eagle scout and it's funny my parents have the picture of my my eagle scout photo and there's cuts on my arm as an eagle scout and i'm like smiling with a big smile in the picture yeah it's just but i was cutting myself a lot and yeah it was uh i was dealing with that stuff wow yeah yeah wow man i'm sorry that you uh no, I, I, little you had to go through that. That um, the the sense of loneliness must have been so profound, uh, or is that not the right word for it? Maybe that's just me picturing that kid that didn't have you know the consistent group of friends and felt different, or what? Yeah, I mean, it's um, the interesting thing too is that I was a really popular kid. Um, in, in some ways, maybe I haven't fully even put together why that is. I mean, my parents are great people and um, always spent a lot of time with me, but I think I wanted to be around other kids my age or I would just be uprooted and making new friends. And yeah, it was it was interesting. A lot of identity issues there and um, just a lot of different things going on at that Can age. Can you be more specific about the identity issues? Yeah, I... um. So, so once you would get to a new school and establish yourself, you would be, begin to make friends and be popular, but then it would it would kind of go away when you would move someplace else. Is that yeah, what you're saying? it would okay. be like a new start. Um, and I think there was kind of like a trifecta <clears throat> of culture because, you know, my mother is from Haiti. She is black. Um, but, you know, I was I'm the only person of color in my entire family that doesn't speak French, Creole, and English. They're all trilingual um and then you know on my father's side you know it's white and nobody looked like me or i was the only one so i think that really that sense of like isolation and being the youngest as well in the entire family and there was a lot of love there but i always being aware it felt like the love was like oh you're different hey glenn oh it's good to see you you know but it was like i wasn't part of the groups on either side in a way um so yeah it was uh if you yeah don't let me cut you <laughs> no yeah that if you could get in a time machine and go talk to you at 11 or whatever age 
it was the most difficult for you, what what would you say to that kid or ask young you? And, and what do you think young you would have said? Yeah, it would be along the lines of um, you're not a mistake. And to all people who feel different or with different different types of feelings or, you know, you, you're not a mistake. Um, you know, that you are created, you are who you are for a reason. And um, I enjoy, and that's why I think, you know, I'm really grateful that, you know, I, I have this book and I'm able to talk with certain people and friends in my life and people who I've met on the journey. Um, because, you know, a lot of people can feel like they're alone or isolated. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, we're also all going through these things. We all have a lot of these similar feelings. So you're not alone. And <laughs> and there's a lot of people going through that same thing. Yeah, their circumstances might be slightly different, but yeah. their internal world is so similar. We're all scared. Yeah. We all feel like we're three steps behind the universe mm. that we should have done this we should have done that we wished we hadn't have done this mm. or that right. and that the the future you know is probably just worse and filled <laughs> with doom oh yeah and i say that prayer every morning <laughs> <laughs> um and what do you think young you would have said if you said that you know what's funny I, young me would have said, oh, of course, of course, no, yeah. And it's funny because I would go to counseling as a kid and I always talked myself out of the sessions. Like I would be out of this session. Um, I just knew what to say and they're like, oh, he's, he's fine. Because I was a really smart kid and, you know, just doing spelling bees and top of my class. And so I just, I don't know, I, I didn't want to have too much, too many eyes on me. So I would get out of those things, be like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, no, I know, I'm unique. You know, it's cool, yeah. And then when I was alone again, all those feelings would come up. And I think there's kind of, sometimes people feel that way too, of even, you know, maybe like gratitude, for example. Like, no, yeah, I am grateful for these things, but I feel like shit right now, you know? Um, so there's... And you can have both at the same yeah, time. right. You know? And that's the human experience, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it's making those conscious choices to be better and i think again it goes back to like internal dialogue and, and how you speak to yourself and the kind of the way you look at certain situations and your perspectives um change that what do you think the young you was afraid of if he said i'm in pain there's days when i don't want to be alive i cut myself hmm I think uh, that's interesting. I I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I what I was afraid of there. Um, maybe not um, not uh, bringing other people down in a way. You felt like a burden. Yeah. If, if you were I, to be your authentic self, you would be a burden. You're too much. Yeah, and often, I mean, even now, if I'm having, you know, if I find myself in the low, I go through a lot of that myself. Or sometimes, you know, I'll talk to family a little bit, and that's great. But um, 
I usually go through that process myself of being aware of what's going on and that's something I want to, you know, kind of take care of on my own. I think a lot, a lot of people do that. Oh yeah. You know, so it's oh, like, yeah. and then, you know, some people know people in their lives that, you know, always call and always are telling what's going wrong. And that might not be the fun experience, the best thing. Um, so if it's a constant thing, so people don't want to do that or some people don't mind. <laughs> and, that's, and, that's, and, you know, in that, Space, you know, we, I think we tend to catastrophize and we get into that black and white thinking where if I say anything about myself, I'm draining like mm. that other guy. Where in reality, you know, that guy lacks boundaries and he <laughs> needs to recognize that he should also ask how the other person is doing and listen and um, that we don't have to be that person. But it's so fucked up how we'll get to that place sometimes where we're like... God, I really don't want to be alive, but I don't want to inconvenience anybody. Right, right. And you know what's so interesting, though, is that there's a lot of beauty that happens uh, when you have great people in your life mm-hmm. who are looking to like love and to be there. And it, I've had that experience with friends recently. You know, people talking to me, and it's you know, it's great. You know, so. Um, yeah, sometimes people want to, you know, want to be there and it's an opportunity to say, oh, wow. And sometimes I think maybe um, you're like, okay, yeah, I would listen to somebody, but I don't know if they would for me. And it's like, no, you know, it's... Give them a chance. Yeah, Give right. them a chance to, to tap into the Therapy, love that they have. Let them yeah. showcase right. their yeah. love. Yeah. In, in either way, you're going to walk away saying, well, I have... A friend that I know is capable of loving me, or I know that that person is incapable of loving me in a right. way that I need to be loved, and then right. you'll know to not go to that dry well again. Right. But it's so painful the thought of you know maybe being stopped, being stopped, right. being or having it be half-assed and kind of patronizing. That to me, I think, is more the biggest fear more than anything is that they're hiding the fact that I'm draining them. Mm. that I'm annoying to them. Um, yeah. It's funny when you said that, I, I have to mention there was a film and oh, I'm forgetting her name right now, but she was making the statement, I don't want to tell my kids I have cancer because they're going to make it all about them and mm. oh, I'm, oh, this is so awful. I This hurts so much, you know, and they were like, mm. I don't want to tell, and you know, kind of going back to that patronizing, you know, it's like somebody making that about them or, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So. <laughs> Let me find another one. There are so many factors working against you. Don't be one of them. That's so great. Mm. That's so great. We are uniquely positioned to be our own best friend, and we are so often our own worst enemy and talk to ourselves in a way that if somebody else talked to us that way, we'd get a restraining order. Right, right. And those that's the kind of thing. That saying to yourself in the morning and actually sitting with for a moment, you know, I think on the flip side to that too, there is so much beauty and so many things that can come together and constantly work for you. Um, But there are things that are, you know, working against you. But to just sit with that and, you know what, no, I'm going to talk to myself, you know, in a different kind of way. You know, I'm going to treat myself with dignity and like I would treat anybody else. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Don't push your emotions aside. They'll shove you back twice as hard <laughs> in the future. That's such a great one. Yeah, you're going to deal with them one way or another. So, right. you know, you can right. either smoke meth until you lose all your teeth, because mm. that's a way of dealing with your emotions. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. Or you can talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. I, I, I love meditating, too. Um, if people have different faith traditions, prayer, or just vocally saying what you're grateful for or writing it down at the end of the day and but yeah like being you know present with those things and sometimes in meditation just sitting with that pain and but you're in a place of stillness mm -hmm. where your mind is slowing down and you know it's not racing as much and you can actually look at this issue in a different kind of way there's like a a saying about you know um if you're focused, if you're in a dark room and you're focused on the fact that like, oh, this room is so dark and you're just trying to walk mm -hmm. through it, you're constantly bumping into things. But if you sit for a second and you just stop for a second and you say, okay, this room is really dark. Let me turn on a light, right? But y sometimes it takes you just mm -hmm. sitting for a second, um, you know, so yeah. So you can look at those issues and those things differently rather than just trying to medicate or do something else to get away or constantly play or whatever that thing is i i think one of the mistakes that i have made so often in my life or the mode of thinking i get into is that success will be me cleaning all the problems i have off my plate and out of my life mm. thinking that then i will eliminate worry and I will then be happy mm. when in reality, it's like what you said is just saying, okay, I'm in the dark. Let me find stillness yeah. in that darkness. Let me find a way to accept the things I don't have control over right. and just try to bring principled action to the things I do. And the result of that living a principled life and surrendering when possible is that I feel peace mm -hmm. and I can like who I am because I'm not acting from a place of fear and making messes and hurting people. Right. You know, there, there's, um, oh, here's one that I, that, that I love. Was there something you wanted to, to add to that? No. Yeah. Okay. It just, as you were saying that, it just reminds me of something my mother used to say, you know, sometimes you don't have an umbrella and you have to dance in the rain. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I like that. Yeah. So yeah. Do you say, and then you get pneumonia and die? <laughs> Uh, no talking back to me. Uh, uh, when was the last time you gave yourself a compliment? Ooh. When, when was yeah. the last time? The last time? I think uh, when I was putting on this uh, outfit this morning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like, oh, he's a nice guy. No, but I, you know, I, I, I do do that, you know, and um, just about who who you're becoming mm -hmm. um, and the things that you do on a daily basis and the things you're practicing. And um, one thing of acting like you just mentioned, um, rather than acting out of fear, you know, acting out of love. And if you're noticing that, like, okay, I'm doing that in this choice and, and that's a good thing. Yeah. And I think that surrender to what we don't have control over is necessary for us to truly love because otherwise we're gripping on to fear and the illusion of control. Right. And I think the that illusion. blocks fear. That yeah. uh, that blocks love. That fear and control are, to me are the two biggest love love right. killers. Right. Um, I like this one. Spoil yourself. Celebrate you. You fucking deserve it. Yeah. 
Um, I love this one. You're going to die. Live like you know that shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a big one for me. That's a big one for Talk me. Talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I just living and creating, and I take certain risks and the art I do and just things I create because, you know, you don't want to look back and, you know, hopefully you're not living a life that you're going to be having regrets um, of choices you could have made, you know, or things you could have done differently. So, yeah, taking those risks and, you know, being present and, yeah. This is one I love. If you got what you want right now, would you be ready for it? So, Often right. the answer is right. no. Right, right. And, but you can't see that oftentimes until right. you look back. Right, right. That's a big one. That's a big one. Um, give your intuition the respect it deserves. Trust it. Mm-hmm. It's so true. It's so hard sometimes, though, to know what is our intuition and what is fear manifesting itself mm. and distorting our view of reality. To me, that's right. what therapy and support groups and close friends are for. Right. You know, but. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I I go back to meditation a lot because you're able to, in that stillness, look at certain things that maybe you're worrying about or things that are, you know, like you said, like fears that are holding you or driving you or steering, you know, your your life's ship you know and uh yeah at that point then you can start to create habits where you're not going to behave from that place and um so that's important bow out of negative conversation it only lowers your vibe couldn't agree more that's a big one. And that is a big it, one. And it's so, I think when we're agitated, it's so easy to go to that place. Because mm. it feels like we're raising ourselves up. Mm. Mm. No, yeah, it's not not good. It's not good stuff. That's something I try to avoid, especially um, negative talk about other people. I just steer clear of that. I'm going to read one more. Um, being great starts with being you uh, which sounds so simple but it's so true to claim our authenticity unapologetically right Uh, Right. talk about that yeah I mean even even if you're an actor on the stage you know you're using yourself Um, but yeah it's being yourself I think in our society um we love celebrity and politics and there's so many personalities and there's so much messaging and programming and commercials and if you wear this, this brand gives you this feeling and we're looking for identity in all these different things. Well, if I drive this car, that gives off this vibe. I, you know, if I drive a Subaru, I look like this kind of person. I love Subarus, but you know, it's, but people feel that way and they're looking for things and it's just kind of all these layers that are kind of like building around us and you know you're at the core of that and sometimes it just takes going back to that and and trying to get in tune with that um 
and just <laughs> I always go back to quieting because sometimes in the stillness is where you see it because there's so much hustle and bustle. There's so much. You're always on the move. You're doing this. You, you know, if you have kids, it's even more. You know, you're just constantly running around and um, it's easy to lose focus. And then if you're not living consciously and you're not behaving consciously, then you start to do things that you might not do. Mm-hmm. Things that you're that's not who you are, but you know, you're not even acting from this place. You're just all this messaging, all these things, you know, mm-hmm. you're hearing the negativity in the news. There's like this dark cloud of what's happening politically that's even driving your language when you're not talking about politics. You could be at the gas station and you're talking to the clerk or you know, it's just there's so much going on and you're at the core of that. You know, when you're quiet, who are you? What are you, what what are your intentions? Who do you want to become? What do you what are you doing with your life? This one life that you have? How are you treating people? Um are you the main focus of your life? You know, are you living from a place of service? Are you but are you taking time for yourself as well? Maybe all you're doing is serving it. So it's but I think again it's like taking that time to get in touch with yourself and then being able to then move through the world a little bit differently. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, as you were sharing that, it just occurred to me, you know, one of the things that people will often share is they feel like their friendships aren't real, you know, that Mm. that they're not real friends, that they're, if that person really knew me, they wouldn't be my friend, or they're only pretending to like me. That's the one I found Uh. out. Well, if we are never authentically ourselves, we can't really ever deal with that problem because you're not giving them all the information. You're you're putting on a show, man. Right. You're putting on a show, and I know we all do that to some degree, but um, you want to find out who your friends are, start being who you are uh, unapologetically because even if some of those things you find out about yourself are not great things then at least it's come to the surface and you'll have a way to deal with them and decide is this something i want to work on or is this something that i'm going to be unapologetic uh uh, about but um we never get to we never get to find out how deep our friendships are until we give them who we who we are right yeah i I couldn't agree more with that that's it's so true how are we not lifelong friends (laughs) you and i (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 so true. It's so true. Where do you live? Uh, nearby? Yeah, not too far. Yeah, well, yeah. we gotta have coffee, man. I definitely I love hanging out with you. And yeah, you're a kindred spirit. Um, oh, thank the, you, brother. The book is called uh, "Go Fuck." I mean, find yourself <laughs> the wisdom you need to get off your ass and create your best self. Uh, Glenn Lutz, thank you very very much. Oh, and people can go to Glenlutz dot com. Yeah, L U T Z and two N's on Glenn. Yes. And uh, I'm on Instagram as well. Okay, and what's your handle? Uh, Glenn underscore Lutz. Okay. And uh, yeah, check me out. I'm always doing different kinds of things and really just unpacking just mental health in general through my work. And because this title, for me, it, it jumps off the shelf. It might be like, oh, go fuck yourself. You know, who's this guy? But ultimately, you know, when you're speaking negatively, because all these quotes are things that if you just sit with and let that be a piece of internal dialogue, it's things that have benefited me and I'm hoping and my goal is that it helps other people. But it's 
when you're speaking negatively to yourself, when you're saying, ah, oh, shit never changes or, you know, you know, and that's why the language is the way it is. Like, no, get off your ass. Like, I'll sometimes talk to myself in that way, but in a positive way. Like, and, um, so when we're speaking negatively, it's, it is a go fuck yourself. You know, it's a, you know, oh, you're never going to lose that weight. You know, oh man, you're in this job. It sucks. Or, you know, and you're just spinning and you're just going downhill. So mm-hmm. it's find yourself, create yourself with the right kind of internal dialogue. And as someone that's, I'll tell you this, the depression that I've faced in my life, you know, I, Personally, I don't take medication for depression. I don't have anything against people who do or anything. Like, of course not. But for me, even though there's some times where you feel it, my internal dialogue has never gotten to the point that used to take me to the low of like, you are worthless. The kinds of things, gotcha. those powerful statements that, that are so negative that we say to ourselves just drive us down. It's like a hammer just mm-hmm. pushing you lower. And like, you're a mistake or when you start saying things like that yet that's where the depression it just kind of goes into drive and it just like let's accelerate this thing and just take it to the edge and you know even if you know you're in tune with what you're feeling and it's you know i don't feel well but you know what like i'm grateful that i am alive today or just even beginning to shift that internal dialogue what are you saying to yourself? How do you speak to yourself? Are you compassionate to yourself? You know, do you talk to your dog better than you talk to yourself? You know, so yeah, that's that's what this this is about. And um, in any type of work, I'm trying to unpack those things creatively and make art because um, this stemmed from art for me. Um, but but yeah, that's that's what it's about. And so you can check out other work over there that has to do with that kind of stuff. But right on, man. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you, brother. Really enjoyed talking to him. Um, before I take it out with uh, some surveys, I want to remind you guys, there's a couple of different ways to support the show if you feel uh, so inclined. You can support us uh, financially by becoming a Patreon monthly donor for as little as a dollar a month, and then you qualify for bonus stuff, whether it's being entered into a, a raffle for you know a hotel room at a podcasting convention or a cutting board I make or a bonus uh, audio from an episode. Um, yeah, for as little as is a dollar a month. Um, and you can also do a one-time donation through PayPal or Zelle. Um, and you can support us non-financially by subscribing to this show. It's probably the easiest way that, that you can do it, but it helps because it increases our downloads and that helps attract advertisers. Speaking of advertisers, let's give a shout out to Spotify with more than 150,000 podcasts, including Oprah's Super Soul Conversations, The Tim Ferriss Show, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Would love to get Gretchen as a guest or be on her show. Uh, and The Nutrition Diva. You can learn how to balance a budget, balance your diet, and how to feel balanced while meditating, even if you're still wondering if the cat's been fed. All podcasts on Spotify are free, and you can even download episodes for those times when you've gone off the grid, you know, to get all that newfound balance in your life. So, start the year off right with podcasts on Spotify. want to also give a shout out to Madison Reed. Uh, I've talked before about Madison Reed listeners who have tried it. 
have really enjoyed it. Uh, it's really, well, first, why don't you tell the people what Madison Reed is? Madison Reed is hair color reinvented, giving you gorgeous salon quality color delivered to your door for less than 25 bucks. You don't have to choose between outdated box color or the time and expense of a salon. It's crafted in Italy by master colorists. Madison Reed is professional hair color you can easily do at home. It's multi-tonal, ammonia-free, and made with ingredients you can feel good about. That's a really important thing, is not having harsh chemicals and not sacrificing the quality of it. So, like I said, people who have tried it love it. Um, go now. Find your perfect shade at Madison Reed. Get an expert color consultation or take the color quiz at madison-reed.com. And you guys get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with code MENTAL. That's code MENTAL at madison-reed.com. This is a shame and secret survey, and this was filled out by uh, a gender-fluid person who calls themselves something cool that makes it sound like I'm laid back and fun, but really I'm not. That might be the best name of all time. They are... Uh, in their 20s, identify as bisexual. Uh, they were raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, I would say it's definitely more than that. But um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, I would say definitely. Uh, she describes uh, the relationship she had with her uh, sexually manipulative uh, and abusive boyfriend. Uh, a lot of her life, she has experienced numbness uh, and depression. Her parents, uh, she describes her parents, uh, toxic is the only word that comes to mind. A lot of drama, a lot of yelling, a lot of blaming, uh, and really no recognition of, of her needs. Any positive experiences with abusers? My relationship with my father has improved significantly now that I'm an adult. We're similar in many ways, and it brings me so much happiness to be able to share this time together discovering each other as people, though I regret that it has taken this long. He's in his 70s now, survived a heart attack and cancer in a two-year period, and I'm not sure how much longer he'll be alive. Being around my mother still puts me on edge. Of course, we've had positive experiences, and I love her. But she keeps her feelings to herself. I feel like I will never be close to her except in rare moments of clarity. Darkest thoughts. I used to deal with intrusive thoughts about snapping and killing or seriously hurting the people I love. These thoughts would make me so anxious that sometimes I would have trouble breathing and I felt that there was something wrong with me morally, in my soul, because I couldn't keep them from surfacing. If you, which to me is like a classic example of what they call pure OCD and I'm not diagnosing you I'm not a I'm not a therapist or a, or a psychiatrist but it's similar to that in that the thing we're anxious about thinking the more anxiety we have about thinking it the more those thoughts come up um the idea of losing control over my mental faculties in some permanent way is still terrifying to me. I'm also ashamed to admit that sometimes I think some people are more valuable and important inherently than others. I try to feel brotherhood and love for all people, but sometimes when I witness the human capacity for vapidity, vapidness, I guess that would be, 
vapidity and selfishness, and then in parentheses, within myself too, I'm sickened. Darkest Secrets. I stole so many library books from my former elementary school that to return them now would be embarrassing, uh, especially because nobody would be in there. <laughs> they would be, they would probably be like, thank God somebody still comes to the library. God bless you. And then you just navigate your way through the spider webs and tumbleweeds to the shelves. Uh, Every time I see them in my house, I feel a little stab of shame. In elementary school, I, along with a group of girls, would tease a male classmate because he presented more femininely than the other boys. I'm so deeply ashamed of this. I reached out to him once on the internet to apologize, but he didn't respond, and I understand. He doesn't need to forgive me for causing what was probably immeasurable hurt. I grew up to become more fluid in my gender presentation too, and the memory of my participation in this bullying haunts me. I lied to my high school theater camp boyfriend about having been molested by a friend of mine, and it wasn't just a singular lie. We would discuss this supposed molestation frequently. I wish I could tell him the truth now, but we've fallen out of contact, and I'm too ashamed to get in touch with him again. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Ever since I started masturbating around age 405, she is now a, a 406, and boy, last year was a crazy year for masturbation. She held off for 404 years, so you can imagine. Ever since I started masturbating around the age of four or five, I've had persistent fantasies about fat men eating and gaining weight. This developed into a sexual fetish that I've been unable to break in adulthood. I am hopelessly, irredeemably turned on by the sight of a big, soft belly and chest on a man. That in and of itself is not shameful to me, but some of the written porn I've gotten off to in the past has been far more extreme than my actual desires, and I worry that it's warping the fantasies I invent on my own. In reality, I'm attracted to confident fat men, but I generally fantasize about myself or someone else dominating a fat man, or about futuristic societies where men, men must be fat in order to be seen as viable sexual candidates." I'd like to be able to fantasize about these things in a healthy way, but because there's very little else that turns me on and absolutely nothing else that's ever gotten me off, I'm afraid that I can't. I haven't masturbated in two months, and I'm trying desperately to explore other aspects of my sexuality. I'm embarrassed and a little scared that I might never be attracted to anything else in such a profound way. I'm not sure I could admit it to my partner if that were true. I think if your partner genuinely understood what a, a fetish involves, they would be, if they were a healthy, open-minded person, they would support that as long as it was transparent in how you brought that into the, into the relationship and you invited them into your world rather than checking out and kind of being physically present but hiding emotionally and mentally because sharing the stuff that we're ashamed of sexually can really bring us closer to our partner. Um, that feeling of love and acceptance and authenticity is amazing. And to me, it 
makes intimacy even deeper and more awesome. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared some aspects of my sexual fantasies with my partner. It seemed to go well when I told him. Uh, he's fat and uncomfortable about it, so I knew going into the conversation that nothing would come of it in terms of any fantasies being played out. But a few months ago, we had a fight, and he told me that I should be ashamed of, quote, preying on people who are, quote, exploited addicts. I was so saddened and humiliated because those have always been my fears about this fetish. And what I have always tried to convince myself is the dividing line between me and, quote, other people who participate in this stuff, i.e., I've never acted on these feelings, so there's no way that I could be objectifying anyone. But the difference is, is if you are engaging it with somebody who is, is, not being manipulated and and is indulging your fantasy so they can be there for you and and that to me i don't agree with what your partner said you know that's not preying on people it's what gets you off you're, it's not like you're chaining men up and force feeding and then masturbating watching them you know it, I just, I hate it when I see people shaming each other sexually, when nobody is doing anything that is hurting somebody in reality with their sexual fantasies. Uh, he later apologized, but I don't feel that I can talk about this subject with him anymore. I think you have to, because it's going to be there until you deal with it. You can sweep it under the rug, but you're going to be walking on a lumpy rug for the rest of your relationship. Yes, I did just say that. Oh, Paul, that was so cheesy. I thought you left. Oh, no. Right here, buddy. Rocking the Quad Cities right now. Let's hear from Florida. How do you feel after writing these things down? Good, mostly. A little nervous that I may have overlooked some egregious grammatical error, but I feel that that way when I write a grocery list. So that has less to do with the survey than with my own issues. Thank you for that. Thank you for that honest and uh, important survey. I mean, all of the surveys you guys fill out are important to me because you're sharing what what is important to you and so often what we battle every fucking day if not every minute in our head or our nervous system or in the pocket where we keep our wallet i keep a lot of my trauma i call it my trauma pocket this is an awful some moment filled out by a guy who calls himself golden ratio uh 1.61 and I love the golden ratio, by the way. It's so helpful when designing furniture. And that's not a joke. I'm not making a, a joke. But the day I discovered that was a thing and began incorporating that into furniture, when I would make furniture, it was like, oh, my God, everything looks so, so much better. Um Here's his awfulsome moment. I was sitting in the car after my dad and I broke into my brother's apartment to see if he was okay. My brother was locked in the bathroom. I won't get into the nitty-gritty details, but after I called the police to get him out of the bathroom, we waited in our car outside the apartment. Finally, the police lady came and told my dad he's deceased, to which my dad replied, Oh, dang it. I can't make this shit up. Oh, Dang it. 
Your dad sounds a tad bit shut down. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself um, Hidden in Plain Sight. She is straight in her 50s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. I love it when somebody accurately describes the environment they were raised in and doesn't minimize it. In fact, she also includes a complete shit show. Uh, she was a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. I was sold to, quote, men as a five to eight year old so that my father could pay my mom child support when I was returned from visitation rights. Let's look at the irony of that. Selling your child so you have money to support them. Wow. I was also involved in cult activities that involved sex from three to eight years old. My mom bathed me until I was 10 uh, because she wanted to make sure I was clean down there. She all, and that is a classic, covert, actually overt way that parents, especially women, will sexually abuse their, their children. Uh, she also didn't allow me to close my door to dress until I was 10. She started calling me a whore, slut, tramp, etc. Uh, when I was nine and can, continued until I left home at 24. She swore that I was going to get pregnant as a teen and threatened to throw me out if I did. I was sexually abused by a girl in my neighborhood from 7 to 10, then threatened by her every time she saw me so that I wouldn't talk So until I was 11. Uh, I was bullied and called a slut at school from second grade until graduation because my sexual acting out with another second grader. She's been physically and emotionally abused. Um... I was hit or chastised almost every day until 18 by my mother. When my father exited my life at nine, the abuse got worse. She took every frustration that she ever felt out on my body with things that I thought would kill me. I ran for my life every time because she had a wild look in her eyes that meant she wasn't present. I survived by hiding or tiring her out. Getting hit caused great body, uh, great pain to the body. She was sadistic and will or would upset me if I was happy or achieved anything. I was told I would never amount to anything like my father. I was worthless, and she wished I was a boy because boys are better children. This is just a tiny portion of the physical and emotional abuse. Wow. I am so, so sorry. Positive experiences. Right now, I have no positive experience because as soon as something was positive, my mom would ruin it with her sadistic ways. Darkest thoughts. I hate my mom and I wish her dead every day. I don't hate her. I hate how she treats me. Darkest secrets. My young self did things with men that I wouldn't do with men as an adult. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Watching a guy masturbate. How's to sh- how does sharing that make you feel? I don't feel anything. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I present as happy. I'm an emotional mess inside. I need help, but I don't know how to ask. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to be on the other side of memories completely. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared these things with my therapist. We are working on trust. I hate trust. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? I'm okay with sharing it anonymously. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? It sucks. Uh, 
it does suck. It does suck. And sometimes we need to hear somebody else just validate the suckiness. You know, instead of trying to spin it, and I'm guilty of that sometimes, trying to fix people or silver lining it. And um, sometimes people just want to know that, yeah, it is that they have been served a fucking shit sandwich. And of course they feel sad or hopeless. That's so good you have a therapist and that you've reached out for help. And I, and I hope you stay honest and transparent with them so they can, they can help you. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself bad at being. And she writes, I went to therapy today completely stressed about my long list of topics I felt I needed to discuss. I told this to my therapist so he was aware that I was stressing about what was most important. Once we trudged through the first topic, I tried to start telling him about a hard conversation I had with my dad, but I realized we only had nine minutes left, so I told him we didn't have time. But he encouraged me to try because it wasn't that long. So I chaotically tell him the story, which was dramatic. Uh, I finish right as we are ending to close this session, and right before I stand up to leave, I just slipped in, oh, and every time I look at my dog, I think about him dying. And then I kind of joke about how I slipped that into the end of the session, and he laughed with me. But he also told me we would talk about it next week. I just feel thankful that he was so human with me. But he also made me feel like I wasn't crazy for it, and that it was something important to go back to. If, if he asks me about it next week, I will feel, feel very seen, and I do not feel that way often. Thank you for that. I love when that glimmer of light comes and people feel the establishment of trust with another human being. And by the way, when my dogs were puppies every day, I would think about, they're going to die someday. It's going to hurt. So fucked up. So fucked up. Uh, and then finally, this is a happy moment. And this was filled out by Sweet Caroline. You know, Sweet Caroline, there's a song about you. I don't know if you know. And uh, she writes, I was feeling raw during the process of coming back into my body after a lifetime of trauma and dissociation. I had terrible days where everything was unbearably bright and loud. It felt like I was experiencing some kind of sensory overload and it was painful. There was only one album that could soothe me on those days. Ruminations by Connor Oberst. The songs are mellow and calm with just Connor singing along with his keyboard and harmonica. I listened to this album over and over, and it became a huge source of comfort for me. Eventually, the sensory overload days lessened, and I rarely listened to ruminations. Months later, I purchased the sister album, Salutations, which is the big band version of the ruminations album. I had not felt music so deeply in years. I didn't even think that I could experience music in such a moving and powerful way without being on drugs. I could hear everything. Every little detail, every instrument and the vocalist and the way they were all beautifully woven together to create the songs. It was a moment of pure beauty. It felt like a hug from the universe. I needed that. I needed to know 
that I could feel the music and be deeply moved by it. This was the happiest moment I have had in a very long time. Love it. Love it. I love feeling, I don't know if the word would be voyeuristically, but like the the positive energy pouring out of this survey, I can I can feel it. And it's so amazing. I wonder if like when Connor Oberts sat down and wrote that album, he had any idea the ripples that that would have. And I think that's one of the things to keep in mind when we think about getting help is we think so often that it's just about dealing with this one thing and then it's over and done with, but it it like expands our capacity to feel and to share those feelings with other people. And we can be a, a, a channel for sending ripples of beauty and peace and recovery and honesty. And that's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. So I hope you got something out of this episode. And if you didn't, seriously, go fuck yourself. Hard. That might have been a little harsh. Now, but I hope you enjoyed it. And um, if you're stuck, just remember that you are not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.